This is the Incremental Gains Podcast. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of having a conversation with a good friend of mine, also a director of Incremental Gains, and one of my oldest friends, Mr. Michael Reynolds. Mike moved down to London um, in his early 20s, similar time to when I moved down to Reading to join the MOD police. And it's something we've never really spoke about before, but the mindset involved in moving down, especially to a big city like London at such a young age, some of the pitfalls, some of the thoughts, some of the the feelings he was having, imposter syndrome comes up, um, anxiety. This was the first episode of the new web-based wellbeing programme funded by the National Lottery. We recently received funding, if you've not seen the posts on, on Facebook and Instagram. So I'm really made up and we're going to continue to do some more content um, that is going to form part of that web-based wellbeing programme. But as part of that, hopefully you'll enjoy today's podcast. We also do a weekly newsletter available every Friday, which is good for any kind of inspiration, motivation or mindset, self-talk. Basically stuff that I've been reading at the moment or I'm listening to at the moment that helps me. Hopefully it can help you too. So please, I'll put the link in that in the show notes. Please subscribe to our weekly worldwide newsletter. It was opened in California last week, so therefore it is now worldwide. Anyway, improve on yesterday, every day, and enjoy this week's podcast. Thank you. So what more I was just on about then? Last night I was looking at I've been looking at Garmin watches, you know for Ah, so have I mate. You know for look like tracking. The Phoenix, you. the Phoenix Six or what's it called? Or is it Felix Six Plus Sapphire or something like that? Yeah, yeah. About five hundred quid I've been looking at. But, but do you know where that's from though? Go on. That's from Ant Middleton. Put something on his Instagram the other day. Yes. Well, I started following it as a result of that. <laughs> same. Same. <laughs> so we went. We went walking last weekend in Macclesfield Forest mm. with uh, one of Laura's um, mates at work. Ian. Ian Kennedy took us walking around Macclesfield Forest, and we did about eleven miles. I think eleven miles. It was a good, good old trek. Like, and he's got terrain, a, like? Was it smooth terrain or was it? Um, like some of it was quite. Um, Bit of elevation, like so, some uphill walking, loads of farmers' fields, and that a bit like um, cobbled, stony, and that like. So it was a tough walk, like it wasn't easy, but uh, loads of good sights and that. It was dead picturesque because it's on like the foot of the Peak District, isn't it? So, but, uh, but he was looking at these gammon. He's he's got this gammon watch, so he tracked all his um, all his what do you call it, like all his heart rates and all that kind of stuff. He tracked mm. all that. So I've been looking at him. But then, like you was on about that, what's her name, Maria Kondo. Yeah. Well, I, I, I kind of go off um, that Martin Money, Martin Lewis, money-making expert. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he says, if you if you can afford something, ask yourself, is it going to add value? And obviously, can you afford it? Or do you need it? Yeah, yeah. But then if you're skint, if you're skint, do you need it? Can you afford it? So it's a similar idea for both ideas, but... Mm. And I thought, I don't really need a Garmin watch. Yeah. Mate, it's so funny because literally, you know, talk about advertising, you know, completely zoning in and, and, you know, almost 
taking you down a rabbit hole. Yeah. I've literally like this this morning. I was looking at there was there was a comparison on YouTube, which was the sapphire. It was it was a sapphire. It was the Garmin with the sapphire screen, but then also there was an alternative with a different type of screen. Right. And I was just and I was just watching him watching him talk about it, and I, I was like, you, I was a bit like. Am I really going to need that? Like you're saying it's for like professionals or really hardcore athletes. And I thought, oh, Michael, that's not you. That's not you. Don't, don't spend that money. Just, do you know what I mean? But well, it's one of them. And it's so easy just to click on, click on it, click on the link before you know it, you, you know, the, you've bought it without actually even buying it. Do you know what I mean? Cause it's just a, four clicks of a button. But what is it? Do you think that, that convinces you that you need it? Obviously it's, it's good advertising, but with all the, algorithms and you search for something next thing it appears on your youtube scroll or your facebook feed mm. but you convince yourself that you need it i need that i need to measure my golf swing on the yeah. garmin do you know what i mean i need to measure that my stroke rate when i don't go swimming i just i think it was more just like obviously at middleton like you know we both look up to him yeah. you know he's a he's a complete specimen isn't it do you know what i mean like he's you know he, he can do pretty much anything and uh, and it was just seeing it and i just saw him and i thought that's what I need. That's what I need to get me into top physical shape. <laughs> but it's all about the data, isn't it? It's all about getting the data and tracking the data. You know what I mean? And, and through that, you can see patterns and you can improve, alleged, you know, in theory. But then I thought, literally just speaking to Laura about it before I spoke to you this morning. And although, yeah, you can log. So say you run 10K or 5K. I don't mind running. I go running every so often. You can log your, your heart rate, which, which zone you, you're in, anaerobic, aerobic zone, fat loss zone. You can obviously compare your times. But at some point, you just want to go out for a run. Yeah. Without yeah. logging all this shit on your, on your fucking phone, you know what I mean? I know. And, it, and it, I remember it, it, it kind of dials back to that, um, was it, I don't know if it was Joe Rogan or Brendan Shaw was like, you know, if you go running, just go running. Don't yeah. need your headphones. You don't need anything. And I've done, yeah. it, I've done that twice. You know, and, I, and it is a bit of a, you know, you're just you and your thoughts. It, it can be quite, you know, it can be quite cathartic, I guess, you yeah. know. So how did, um, so on the, the previous podcast I did with Dan John, mm. one of the things that he said um, on one of his programs was going, when you go into the gym and you lift, mm. do it without any, what's the word he thought, what's the word he come up with, but with any like motivation, that's not the right word, but don't have music on to uplift your mood, to get you psyched yeah. up. Don't psych yourself up. Don't walk around before it. Just do everything emotionless and just go through the motions rather than like having to be psyched up. Mm. Similar to like when David Goggins has said, sometimes there's not going to be music. So you've got to run, get used to running without the music because sometimes the music isn't going to be there to motivate you. Motivation is not always going to be there. So you've got to, you've got to, you've got yeah. to get Get in there and just do it. It's, it's, like, it's like a security blanket, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of the, if the two go hand in hand, then you'll struggle yeah. without you know without it. But but it, it was like funny. A cast. It was, eh? Considered like a cast, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. You break your arm and you put it in a cast, but it like it'll, it'll get fixed in that certain position. Yeah, you'll only ever be able to work out if you've got music or run if you've got music on. That was it. And the other because I've been doing this uh, insanity workout at home. I take there's a day off where you do like yoga stretching. And I thought yeah. to myself, you know what? I want to go for it. Just do a run. And it was lashing it down. Um, it was kind of towards the tail end of it was it was middle of last week. And it was lashing it down. I looked out the window and I thought, oh, fucking hell, don't want to do it. But instantly came into my mind, you know, like the David Goggins kind of 
the the rants that he yeah. goes on. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get out there, I'm going to do it. And I normally I go out wrapped in, you know, I have like a jumper on, a t-shirt, a jumper and a waterproof on. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go out in a t-shirt. And yeah. I just ran in the t-shirt, no music, just a t-shirt. And I'll flip it. I enjoyed it. Do yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know what's good about that though? Um, and I often say like that, obviously you shouldn't compare yourself to other people. Mm. But in those scenarios, part of the motivation is that no other fuckers out there running in the rain with a t-shirt on. Or very few people are running in them circumstances. Mm. You can you can draw motivation from that, can't you? And definitely, definitely. Like, yeah, I'm the only one who's out here doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're trying to. It's not like you're trying to be better than anyone else. But it's just like you're. You, it galvanizes your spirit a little bit. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It shows that next level of kind of. Yeah. You're willing adversity. to step out, step out of the comfort yeah. zone. And, I mean, there's nothing. It's raining. It's just you're just getting wet, aren't you? There's no mm. like. It's not going to kill yeah. you. And and the other thing is, I've been having um. So I've been doing my insanity workout, and then straight off the back of it. I, I jump in and do a cold shower, Yeah. you know, and I'm kind of, I started off as like, right, I just, after every workout, I'll have a cold shower. And then I've been saying to myself, well, you know what? Just have cold showers. Like don't have warm, just have cold. Cause yeah. what difference does it make? You know, you know what? That's really funny. You said that cause, um, what was that? I can't remember anything this morning, but I was listening to a podcast mm. and they were talking about cold showers, hot showers, but they were saying like back, Two, three hundred years ago, a shower was a cold shower. There was no hot showers. Yeah, yeah. That was just a cold shower. But even that would have been a luxury at that point, though, wouldn't it? Because you, know, yeah, you think yeah. the technology to pump the water, you know, that that would be a, so at one point a luxury. You know. Yeah, yeah. So we have that mindset now where we have to differentiate between a warm shower and a cold shower. Yeah. Many, many years ago, a shower would have been a cold shower would have been the norm. That would have yeah. just been your shower. Yeah. You and, should be happy that you're actually having a wash. <laughs> you got yeah, clean water basically. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Which a lot of people still don't have. And um, I know. you know, I was kind of what was I gonna say? Um, yeah, I just find it when I first started doing them, I was like screaming, yelping. Do you know what I mean? In the shower. Mm-hmm. And now it's you know step straight in. Do you know what I mean? And and you feel I get out and I feel like alive. You know, it's yeah. really good. I love it. It's amazing that the body has such a, an ability to adapt. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Even like in the this Corona COVID epidemic and that initially like the first two weeks and we spoke about it before that mm. your your mind plays tricks on you. You start to extrapolate in the future of the events that haven't happened yet. You wonder what's going to happen with your job, your lifestyle. Oh my God, all this catastrophizing. And then after two weeks, you're like, oh well, this this is the normal now. So I'll I'll put things in place. I'll, I'll sort out my workouts. I'll sort out when I can work from home. Mm. You adapt to it, so where it becomes a new norm, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's funny, and what's been a good indicator around here is, um, you know, the Thursday night clapping sessions. Yeah, yeah, for the NHS. That was, that was yeah, that was quite a good, um, you know, it's quite a good way to monitor like the feeling and the vibe. So, like, like you said, the first couple of weeks, not a lot of people came out. So mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? So everyone's in this kind of under siege mode. Everyone's panicking. Yeah. So everyone's literally staying indoors. Yeah. You know week three to kind of week six maybe seven people were outside boom boom making loads of noise you know banging wheelie bins going wild yeah 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 weeks week eight dead no one was out do you know what i mean and then yeah. and then ever since then it's been quiet so it's almost like under siege join together okay we're fed up of it now do you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. we want yeah, like to go back to normal do you know yeah. what i mean and it's yeah. been that pattern there's a kind of um 
like a what do they call it like a um a bell curve yeah but like people start off worrying worrying all about me all about me and then it goes to the community let's look after each other mm. and then it starts to filter off and go right and gone look after number one now yeah yeah <laughs> exactly you you regress back to your own kingdom yeah. don't you suppose you and know that be- and then that becomes a new norm yeah yeah so i mean what's it like in london now like where they've because they've proper relaxed the restrictions now i know it was it was quite relaxed before in london a lot of people were adhering to the the lockdown yeah. and stuff what we've saw on the tally anyway but, um, what's it like now it's um i mean to me in the shops People have still people are wearing masks out on the street. Everyone's yeah. pretty much got masks on. Even just walking past the house, you see people with masks on. Um, the supermarkets, you know, they're kind of back to normal from what from what I've seen. You still see the queuing outside. Yeah. Um, but for me, I've been going in early morning, getting it out of the way. But even then, people aren't observing the social distancing kind of yeah. mindset or approach. Um, I drove through um, a busy. I bro- drove through Brixton yesterday. And they've started widening the pavements. Started like, what? Widening the pavements. All right. What? Yeah. Because it's a meter now, isn't it? That's yeah. the distancing from the fourth of July is only a meter. Yeah. So, so I don't know whether it's. Well, it looks like they're widening the pavements. I don't know whether people, are, the the kind of authorities, are taking the opportunity to implement all the infrastructure works. Whether they've been outstanding for a long time or whether they're kind of reacting yeah. to this situation, so that's all going on. So there's loads of like roadworks here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. Um, they've been, you know, in the parks as people have been congregating in the parks. There was a party here the other night, not far away, and not that went else. on all night. No, no, no. <laughs> Next door, but one mate, flipping it. <laughs> and uh, you know that's been going on. That has been going on. You know that that started at seven, pretty much yeah. finished at seven the next day. Um, Did you see the pictures of Bournemouth Beach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy, that one, eh? I know. But even, I've got some uh, friends, I know, out in France and Belgium. And, you know, they're all in the park. They're having parties. Night, not, not, yeah. They're having, like, where, where you might go to a club, people are actually outside, like, you know, in kind of like a nightclub setting, but, but externally. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know how they're getting, you know, music down there and all this sort of stuff. But it just seems like it's back to normal. Apart from you're not you're not inside, you're outside. Yeah. So. Similar up here, all the pubs are starting to put um, more benches out and decking in the, the beer gardens, mm. ready to start opening on the fourth of July with all the, the distancing regulations. But I mean, it's good obviously for the businesses that they can open again. But you, I don't know what's going to happen when it starts raining or getting colder and people want to come inside. Are they just going to turn people away? But I know. But even in the office, a few people have been into the office and they sit and it's like, it just looks so sterile, you know, you know, there's a, there's a fine balance between, I mean, you know, looking like battery chick, battery hens, isn't it? You know, having everyone on top of each other, like just complete, like, you know, just massive voids between each other. And you know what I mean? Even when you're walking down, down a corridor and you've got to kind of swerve out the way, it's, it just doesn't sit well with me. I feel like it's so um, abnormal, you know, it's such an abnormal behavior. Oh. Well, we're social creatures out there, so we need that like interaction with people, and even down to contact. We need contact. But I know it's maybe frowned upon to like be over touchy feely with people, but we need we need contact. You know what I mean? And there was that. Um, there was a, I was talking to Jeff Lawson on a, another conversation we had, and um, I'd listened to the, this podcast episode about touch. And again, I've not got the science, so I can't like 
articulate it well enough to properly understand it. But on our back, there's, there's touch pads that create all sorts of dopamine and serotonin secretions in our body. But we can't actually physically get to them ourselves. So that's why when someone strokes your back, it, wow. it signals these pads to secrete this, this stuff in our bodies. So that's why wow. we need human connection and human touch. So someone just stroking your back, and I think it's like a rate of um, like five centimetres per second, and that is the rate, without even being conscious of it, that you would stroke a dog or stroke your partner or something. That secretes these, these chemicals in your body. So even at a fundamental, basic human level, biologically, we need, we need touch, we need contact with people. So funny you say that. Restrictions in place, mm -hmm. we're not mm -hmm. getting that. I've, I've had experiences before in, in relationships where, you know, like you say, you hug your partner and you give them a, like a pat on the back and they're like, yeah. what the fuck's that? You know, what the hell is that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you're patting them on the back, like, yeah. Like, yeah. like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, um, like a dog. Bit patronizing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As if I'd have done the old five second stroke, it'd have, you know, it'd have been yeah, much yeah. more, uh, you know. That's the thing I never thought about different. it. Like, oh, yeah, a, a tapping motion, just tapping someone is a little bit like uncomfortable in it, what you're doing. Yeah. Whereas five centimeters per second is a natural way that you would stroke a dog, stroke someone's hair or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting. Yeah. No. Fair dues, fair dues. Yeah, I started watching your Dan John presentation, your Dan John session last night. It was quite good, wasn't it? Yeah, he's a he's a knowledgeable fellow, like so many, yeah. like forty plus years, 35, 40 years plus worth of experience in the the strength and conditioning industry. And one thing that why I really respect his kind of views and opinions is it's all through experience. So it's it might just be anecdotal, but he's been there. He's 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 uh, run the experiments, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, he's walked that path, hasn't he, basically? Yeah, so, he knows what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, he's deep in the game, mate. That's that's what I got from it. And it was, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't get all the way through it. I'm going to go back to it. But yeah, what I saw of it, it was good. Enjoyed it. Um, Did you take anything from it? Because you're quite into um, like hip training, high intensity interval training, aren't you? Mm -hmm. is, that, is there something that you might, are you going to carry on doing that? Or has, has it changed your opinion maybe on doing something different? I think what I'm, I'm going to carry on with it because I'm, I'm trying to just get to a point where I, you know, I, I tested my BMI last night and it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. And I know BMI is not, you know, not the be all and end all, but it's a good way not, to not get. Not for a super athlete like you with a Garmin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Finely tuned, you know, when, you know, when, when you're operating a temple, mate, you know, you need, <laughs> uh, you know, but, um, but no, it, it was one of them where I just thought to myself, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to carry on with it, persevere, finish the program and then I'll reassess it and think yeah, of it. Yeah look at what I can do and because yeah. I'm you know going down pushing weights and things like that just in in my bedroom or in the gym it's no you know it's no good I, I feel like at least it's kind of I like the structure of it yeah you know the start there's a start and a finish to it and there's in between if they switch it up and change it up and, mm -hmm. and all that so well like you say yeah. I think it's important to to persevere with something first rather than just chopping and changing with different things all the time so going from high intensity or next week that's not working i'm going to go to just kettlebell workouts or after that just going to go to complexes or i'm going to just start running next week mm. see through to the end and then reassess it yeah yeah see if, see if you're getting your goals and what results you want from it that's it look at it look at it a bit different yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. so one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you was as a director of incremental gains and this being the first real podcast that is 
using the funding from uh, the national lottery that we recently got mm. for, uh, web-based well-being the the first episode is going to be yourself right okay so good. I, can, I can see you made up about that yeah <laughs> no, i'm just shocked i guess you know you know I, I, I think i'd probably just say you know it's been good watching you know watching it all come together and, and now you've yeah. been you know pulling it together with your experience in the background and sort of you know um getting to this point i think it's been quite you know it's been quite successful so far yeah so i think yeah. if we can or if you can carry on in you know in this trajectory i think it's only gonna you know it's only gonna sort of um produce good things and good outputs so hopefully mate. if i continue if i can continue to um keep the momentum building and not necessarily just like fall back with it because mm. i've tried to tried to make myself accountable well obviously as per this funding it's, it's one episode per week whether that's around motivation inspiration whether it's just me or whether it's with a, a conversation with someone like yourself mm. um one piece of content a week so i'm trying to like if i can keep accountable and keep pushing that out and not not fall behind with it then hopefully uh like you said good things will come and we can keep going on that momentum and that trajectory yeah yeah but i think that's part of your um you know i think that's built into you as, as an individual from you know from what i know of you it's like you're you know you you've always been you know routine has always been kind of ingrained within you yeah you know what definitely. I mean? from from the days of when we started out you know doing a paper round <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> being being having to be up at whatever time half past six yeah, you know, yeah. In the back of, in the back planning of that me, planning me Christmas tips. <laughs> do, you know, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? The structure, the you know, the, the backbone to that structure has always been there. So, so I think if you apply that same you know processes with yeah. the fact that now, um, you know, I was thinking about it earlier on. Actually, and I was thinking to myself, you know, you've been an avid reader for obviously when you're at university, you were you were reading because you were you know that's you have to do it it, yeah, it goes without yeah, it saying yeah, yeah. you know but, but from from coming out of university i feel like you've been an avid reader ever since that point do you know what i mean from that point yeah. on. And, I, and i was thinking you know i was looking at doing a master's a few years ago it's something that's always still been in my mind to do but i remember they were saying to me you need to do about 30 hours a week right reading yeah. study, like study, yeah. reading studying whatever it is yeah um so and i was thinking to myself so so imagine if you've been from the age of what 20 23 24 really when it when you really kind of got into it or really started you know started yeah. exploring and reading around different subjects you know if you think 30 hours a week to get a master's degree it was 30 hours a week for i don't know a year say yeah is that how long it is a master's just another another year yeah, yeah yeah so you know what's that 150 hours 30 hours a week no it's more than that but anyway without sussing out the maths yeah 30 times 52 and yeah so it's gonna three times five it's gonna be 1500 hours 1560 yeah so really you know the amount that you read in in a week in a month you've probably done that you know 10 times over yeah, you know over I mean? the course of like ten, what like yeah. over ten yeah. years, fifteen years, maybe, yeah, maybe. But it's but it's one of them where you've read a book that's been produced by somebody that's from you know academia or mm -hmm. an academic background, but the the you know 
because you've not got a certificate to say, oh, I've read this particular subject and I've com completed this many out. Do you see what I mean? So it's kind of like, yeah. it just made me think that you've probably covered it. You've probably got a, a PhD in, in kind of the amount of stuff that you've read. But actually, because there's but no, no measurement, yeah, yeah. you know, the measurement's not there, is it? That's the only thing. So Yeah, yeah. But that's why I think you're well placed to kind of keep this momentum and the trajectory going. So it's, yeah. you know, it's looking... You know, it's looking positive, I think. And One of the things the that, yeah, that was really good. That was, um, obviously, that's why I set up the CIC, so it gives me that avenue to, to get funding to, to mm. benefit the community. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Um, but I think there was one, the one thing about what I've learned recently, and I've tried to start doing it recently at least, and never been, maybe been guilty of it in the past, is I read a book, whether that be self-help, personal development, whatever, whatever topic it's on. Mm. But actually, like, never applying what I've read into life. You know what I mean? You read it, you put it down, and you think, oh, that was pretty cool. I can, I can spout maybe a load of shit about some aspects of your mental well-being or health. But how do you apply it? How do you apply what you've learned? Mm. Without, obviously, coming across as telling people what they should or shouldn't be doing. But then... So I think, go on. But I think that that's probably a little bit because you're probably taking it on via osmosis. Aren't you? You're reading it and, it and it's not like, right, yesterday I did this. Tomorrow I'm going to do this, which is going to be slightly different. You, without realising, you'll probably tweak and, and adapt. And, you know, there'll be like minor adjustments. Yeah, like almost subconsciously. I mean? So you don't really yeah. know why you're doing it. You're just changing something. Mm. But really, it's because you read it maybe three months before. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. Like even the stuff about, do you remember there was... Um, I remember when you read, I think what had a big impact was the, the chimp paradox. Yeah, that was quite a pivotal, well, not pivotal, but I remember you just talked about it a lot, a lot, a lot. Do you know what I mean? I think it was when you, when you said that it was probably, probably about the age of 23, 24, which actually, we'll talk about this a bit later on, but that, um, coincidentally, that was when I moved down south, down to Reading. Mm. And was in, I was in the police down there. So I moved away from St. Helens. Mm. Um, so that was the age when I started really like, don't know for what reason, maybe obviously must just have been to try and better myself, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. to, to improve. That's when I started to read all these kind of books and get into this, this mindset thing. And that was one of the first, you're writing what you're saying, that was one of the first kind of books that give me that light bulb moment that, ah, that's mm -hmm. why I'm, I don't know, that's why I'm not maybe looking for promotion. That's why my mindset's fixed. That's why if I'm in an uncomfortable position, I taught myself how to things. Yeah. It was yeah. ask, answering all these questions that maybe, obviously the tough questions to answer and to ask yourself, but that, that book definitely, The Chimp Paradox, helped to mm. answer some of these questions as to why my behaviours were what they were, definitely. Yeah, or even just kind of shining a light on a, on a, on a matter, isn't it? And just yeah. thinking, okay, I might not be able to crack that one open in one go, but let me just yeah. kind of, you know, start to think about it in a different way and you know it sends yeah. you on a path then doesn't it and yeah. you know and, and because you talked about it so much I remember it, it kind of it <laughs> kind of bled through into the social aspects do you know what I mean and socially yeah. we'd all be talking about it you know yeah. so it's, yeah. uh, I think I've gifted I've gifted that book so many times I bought it for people whether or not I've not heard any feedback whether they've, they've actually utilized it obviously a few people are like oh it's wicked that book but whether or not they've actually like utilized it and implemented it somehow i don't know but yeah that is probably one of the the most uh, gifted like books i've i've given to people yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah what about yourself you read anything that has had a major impact 
Um, I think for me, one of the one of the ones that stands out is kind of um, it's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's, a, and it's an old kind of I think it was it came out in the sixties or whatever, but it's more about just how kind of you know putting yourself in the other person's shoes, trying mm-hmm. to understand what their you know what their objective is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's just, you yeah. know, you, you're having issues with your next door neighbor or whether it's, you know, you're having kind of things at work or, you know, in whatever setting you yeah. can apply that same mindset whereby you try and just look at it from the, rather than just be solely planted in your own two feet, you try and look <laughs> at it from a different perspective, you know, when you yeah. kind of, you know, it helps you to try and get to a middle ground or at least begin some sort of negotiation or, or not be so kind of rigid in your, in your mindset obviously there's certain things in life where you have to be very rigid you know there's, there's the bandwidth is very thin but you know yeah. i'd say 80 percent of the, the time there's there's always you know room to do a deal or negotiate something do you see what i mean whatever that yeah, might yeah. look like yeah it's funny how um concepts in in these books and ideas like really there's nothing there's nothing new that hasn't already been said it's just a way of repackaging stuff to make it to appeal to a different audience and there's, there's another book, um, a very old book, Stephen R. Cover, I think it's called The Seven, Seven Habits of Successful People. And one of the chapters in that is a chapter called Understand Before Being Understood. And it's exactly the same as what you're talking about there. So instead of when you're in a, an interaction with someone, instead of trying to impose your agenda on someone, mm. just, just actually sitting back and trying to understand the person in front of you and their model of reality the, the frame of reference where they're coming from before actually imposing your agenda on them and what you want to get from the conversation. And it's exactly what you just said then. Yeah. But it's funny how these, these concepts and ideas are they're, they're obviously around for a reason. They work and they're true and they're like laws of whatever. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, the, they're, I think they're, they're like the test of time, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. They're like the, the basic principles, but just kind of how they're dressed in different ways. Um, another one is, that's um, a better word, yeah. Yeah, another one is like, um, it's, it's a leadership book that I've been reading. Um, and it's one of them, I kind of dip in and out of it. Mm-hmm. But one of, the, one of the big takeaways from it is, again, it's kind of considering other people. And, and you know, if you're going into a difficult conversation, it's, it's best to st- start everybody on a 10 out of 10. Do you know what nice. I mean? Give everyone that that baseline where they're ten out of ten. You know, you want the best from them. They want to give you the best. Do you know what I mean? And and kind yeah. of work from that position rather than oh bloody hell, I'm going into this negotiation or this discussion. And it's going to be difficult or it's going to be. Do you see what I mean? So it's kind of like yeah. it's starting from that elevated position, thinking this person wants to do deliver the best output they can. You know. So it's it's instead of instead of people trying to gain points and gain favour, they already start with the utmost like respect, the utmost you're perfect yeah. for this. And it's their responsibility to stay up there. Exactly. Exactly. And, and they go down rather than you giving them points for going up. I get you. And, and think and thinking to yourself, I've got to drag him. I've got to try and drag him. You know, it's kind of like we're all yeah. saying we're all on the same level, you know, and it's rather than oh I've got to get it force this individual to do what what we want them yeah. to do. You know? Like that. It's interesting that the, um, reading a lot of like stoicism and that and the stoics from my interpretation have, have the opposite view so they start off thinking that right um, everything that happens today people are going to shit on there people are going to be negative people are going to be um, bad to work with and anything that happens that isn't with that 
but is is a really is an achievement is a good day but um if that happens and people are negative i've already prepared myself to deal with that so i'm aware of it but um that's another side of the coin but i like i like the fact that everyone's starting at a 10 and mm-hmm. it's 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 their choice whether they start to deteriorate that score but in a way it's kind of again it's it's down to your perception of that individual as well isn't it and you know it's kind of trying to just force everyone to stay at that level i don't know or not yeah. force but but kind of maintain that that tempo i don't know it's yeah. what was your um what was your thoughts on the the michael jordan uh, last dance on how that obviously when when he was more about himself the chicago bulls were winning championships but when phil jackson brought him to one side and said right you've got to think more about the team you've got to start passing the ball it's not about your individual accolades if you want to win titles it's got to be for the team so then it was his responsibility to pick the rest of the team up to his level mm-hmm. so i think going off the model that we're working with now michael jordan seen everyone as beneath him as like yeah he was a 10 and everyone else was like a two or three it was almost like they were kind of he took the responsibility on it was just you know i don't think he was necessarily like i'm the best ever he kind of knew that but it was like he took the responsibility to just keep digging digging that trench do you know what i mean he was, yeah. he was kind of plowing that that uh, yeah. you know it, it was his responsibility but yeah like you say it, 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 phil jackson switched it up and made it made it his responsibility to bring everyone else in and include yeah, it and yeah. there was one i think there was one pivotal moment I can't remember which episode it was, but there was maybe what three seconds left of a game or something, and the ball came to him. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of to me, that's when that's when everything seemed to change, you know. And then everyone, you know, elevated to that level, you know. And I think that's. um, I think it was there was two. I can't remember one of the players, but another um, time when that happened, it might be the time you're on about. He passed it to Steve Kerr, didn't it? That's it. Yeah, that's the one. He shot like the three pointer or whatever. And I think sometimes. That's all it needs is for people to be given the ball, given that responsibility, and people will, will thrive with it. Well, there's some people yeah. will obviously like run with it. Some people won't, but you've got to give them that opportunity to, to rise to it, haven't you? But then I, I wonder if they'd, if that had been a if that had been a structured play, whether or not he'd have done it. Do you know what I mean? Whether he'd have been able to shoot the basket because right. the pressure that the pressure that would have been building from that very discussion. Yeah, because it was kind of it was ad hoc, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't exactly. supposed to happen. So like he didn't have time to dwell on whether it was gonna work or whether it wasn't gonna work. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's a good it. point. Never thought of that. Mm. Yeah. There was um I don't know if you listen to much Jocko Willink. You listen to much Jocko? Not so, not so much. I kind of dabble with it, but then yeah, not 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 too much. He 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 spoke a little bit about that word sometimes and well not sometimes, all the time. If you give someone like something to do or something to create or some sort of responsibility a period of time before they have to actually deliver then obviously they're going to think about it they're going to dwell on it some people can cope with that some people can't mm-hmm. but like the, the steve Kerr and the michael jordan example sometimes if you just throw someone in the deep end you sink or swim there's no dwelling on it you just got to deal with it you? it's kind of it's a bit like um it's a bit like procrastination isn't it you know if you know you've got something to do you kind of dilly dally about it and then you leave yeah. it you know then when the deadline gets near that's when the that's when the adrenaline starts going do you know what i mean and, and you just yeah, do yeah. it you know Definitely. so it's kind of like a similar re- reaction but uh, going back to jocko will jocko willink yeah, yeah. yeah i always struggle with his surname but um 
I was listening to him talking on a Tim Ferriss podcast. Um, and it only dawned on me that um, Tim Ferriss wrote the seven hour, was it seven hour work week? Four hour work week. Four hour, yeah. And I remember I read that back in, I don't know, that must have been 2003 or something. Mm-hmm. But I had no clue that it was Tim Ferriss that, that had written it. Right. And to see the position he's gotten to now is kind of incredible, really. Yeah. What did you get um, from that book? Did you take anything away? I remember at the time, to be honest, I can't really remember the con. I remember obviously it was more about the time management aspects of yeah. life. That's where people like do, that. people read into it that you're only working four hours a day and all that, but it wasn't about that. It was about, like you said, just managing your time better. Yeah. So you're not, you're not doing a 60 hour work week. You're actually like, putting in work-life balance and all that to get in the most yeah. out of your week. Yeah, yeah, That's it. Carving out time for yourself so that you're kind of fresh in, you know, you're fresh when you're at work, you're not exhausted. Yeah. You know? And I remember, I remember the time it, it influenced me, but it was one of those where I couldn't necessarily maintain it. Mm-hmm. You know, I suppose it, it, I remember um, uh, when I read um, how to win friends and influence people, you know, I was going back and I was highlighting areas and, you know, you can yeah. refer back to it, but I didn't, I didn't do it with that book at the time with the, with the four hour work week. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's some, it's a book that I was thinking to myself, Oh, I wonder if I've still got it, but obviously I've, you know, gotten rid of it since. Yeah. So I might go back to it. I might get another copy of it and have another There's look. So much you, you, you forget that you've even read, you know what I mean? Ideas and concepts and that. And, I know. I know. There's a, there's a letter. So again, stoicism, like it seems to be a regular theme in every, every conversation I have, this comes up. But um, Tim Ferriss, again, raves about the letters from um, Seneca. So letters from a stoic is, is Seneca's letters to a friend. And in there's, there's like over 300 letters. And um, he, in one of the letters, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, he, he talks about that um, rather than reading like 100,000 different books and authors, read one author and read everything that author's done. You know what I mean? Before like moving on to a different subject. But why though? Why, that, that to me is a bit narrow. Well, I, I, mean? I think that as well. I, I've, I read all sorts of shit and go from one topic to another topic. Um, but it was just an interesting way that he was, he was looking at it. Why, if you find a great author, read everything that they've done rather than hopping from one thing to the next. Yeah, I, f- I feel like you'd become sort of indoctrinated then in, you know what I mean, in that mindset if you weren't. Rather than like reading opposing views or opposing Yeah, yeah. you kind of have to read around subjects. If, if something pricks your interest, then, uh, you know, it's best to, for me, read around a subject. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know. So what, um, when we said before, sort of that pivotal moment for me, starting reading, like looking into personal development, mindset, self-help, all that. I don't know, self-help has a bit of a weird... Like when you think about when she talks to people about self-help books, do you think, oh my God, that's a little bit weird. But I think it's getting better. I think people are more more in tune with the idea of like improving themselves and personal development and that. But certainly when I was like 23, 24, just moved down to Reading. You moved down to London at a similar time or just before, I think that's right, is it? Was it just before? 2003, 2004? Yeah, I kind of had two bites of the cherry, didn't I? But yeah, around that time, yeah. Yeah. So what was your kind of outlook and mindset at the time of moving down to London because obviously we're from St. Helens we grew up in St. Helens lived in St. Helens did everything that normal working class lads did in St. Helens and then you made the decision to move down to London what was kind of the the motivating factor I know obviously work was a, a major thing but why London mm. why so I think far? Um, I mean for me it was more 
so I had a so I remember I went to um, I had a year in Kingston upon Thames, didn't I? Because I had a year trying to yeah. sort of go down to university down there and I did one year and, I, and it wasn't it wasn't for me but I think the driver then was just to really get out of St Helens you know and kind of be wherever I could get to and that just came up you know it was a nice area you know it was um you know it was um it was funny because I remember so so I got so I applied for different universities excuse me I applied for different universities and I applied for Reading, Reading Uni at one first, Kingston upon Thames, and then I think South Bank was another one. And Kingston upon Thames came up. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I didn't think quite get the qualifications to go to Reading, but the the Kingston the Kingston one took me. And um, obviously, my granddad is was from Jamaica, mm-hmm. so you know it was kind of. Do you know what I mean? It felt like Kingston, Jamaica, Kingston upon Thames. And I, remember, <laughs> yeah, and I remember I went to him and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to Kingston. And he was like, oh, you're going to, to, you're going to Kingston, Kingston. I said, no, no, I'm going to Kingston upon Thames, <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, but it, but it was more about for me, just trying to, just trying to get out of the town really and kind of try and just see, see what was out there. Yeah. Um, but well, I think that was a bit uh, of a culture shock. Yeah, I was going to say I don't know if you you was aware of it at the time or whether you remember. But what was your what was your self talk going on about that time? Was your was your I don't know. We'll, we'll come across imposter theory and imposter syndrome in a little bit because it's something I want to talk about. But mm. was there any sort of idea of that going on in your head? Or well, I guess yeah, because in a way, particularly at Kingston upon Thames for that first year at university, trying to carve your way out because you know I. Um, you know, we're working class background kids. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, or we were working class kids, and uh, and and I didn't do A levels. I did um, the the vocational courses. Right. So then you arrive in a in a university setting with lots of people who've done A levels. You know, they've had private, yeah, yeah, they've had private education, and you know, you just felt like a, a duck out of water, fish out of water yeah anything whatever it is but okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I just felt you know that was and that was quite apparent and that that real culture shock you know was um you know it it kind of it went deep do you know what I mean and I, yeah, and I yeah. felt it I felt like really kind of out, out of out of my depth um so um so yeah but and, and the self the self-talk really was more I, I guess it's more of that kind of resilience of just being a working class where you just you know just get your head down and get on with it, you know, as yeah. best you can. It didn't yeah. work out. So then I was, I was fortunate enough that my family were able to take me back and, you know, I was back up north, you know, mm-hmm. after that first year. But, um, but yeah, it's more just that digging. Don't, don't, don't quit. Don't, you yeah. know. That grit. Grit yeah, and determination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's like that classic, the salt, salt of the earth. You know, it's kind of times are going to be tough, but you just keep, you just keep pushing. Which I sometimes think is maybe that's why you're kind of in this stoicism element because I feel like that's part of being working class. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You kind of expect the worst, but you actually, you know, you push harder. You try and push yeah. through it. Or maybe not, maybe not expecting the worst, but accepting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like not, not necessarily, not necessarily being like the pessimistic word or everything's going to be miserable and that, but accepting it for what it is. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And understanding that. You, you can progress, you can move forward. And as long as you have a bit of, like you said, resilience about it. And mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So then you moved so then, down, you, you were back up north for then another year, was it? And then you moved no, down? No, so, so I came back up and I did, um, so I went back to start my the degree again. So I did the degree and then in 2003, once I'd completed the degree in Liverpool, I then moved to London, 2003. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think then it was, yeah, so I went down in um, July, I think. I remember you came to stay with me for one. Because I had that was me, um, me kind of interview weekend. Because you was living in um, East London, wasn't it? it yeah. Was. Um, oh, Bethnal Green. Green. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that from like the craze and all that. Like so, but yeah, I stayed with you for three days in Bethnal Green when I went for me me assessment weekend in mm. Weathersfield in Essex to join right. the police down there. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, it was around, and then I found out in the March. I, jo- I actually joined in the March the following year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's mine. I think, I mean, for me, the, again, the, the, the driver was, you know, okay, didn't work out that first year, go back, take stock. And then mm-hmm. coming out of university, I was, I went for, I had a few job interviews and I got one in, there was an interview in London, one in Birmingham and um, and I won somewhere else, can't quite remember. Um, but the one in London came up and the one in London was in, in, um, uh, Piccadilly Circus so right. you know it's a really kind of you know it's, it's a classic the bright lights you know you get into London and, and you know the big Piccadilly sign and you know what I mean it's just yeah yeah just of course felt, just felt good so so that's kind of that's what drew me into that you know into that position and, yeah. and to take that that job um, so how long do you think it took you then to to kind because of, we spoke before about the the human human aspects of being able to adapt quite quickly Obviously, at first, you're like a bit, well, taken back by all the hustle and bustle going to London. How long do you think it took you before you started to just accept that and, and adapt to it? To be honest, mate, I feel... Weeks, months, or straight away? I'd say, I'd say years, to be honest. I'd say, right. I'd say years, yeah. Because nah. I remember first first time out of university, you know, and, trying, and having a job. You know, it's such a kind of stress on your body. I remember it being, you know like sat in meetings and not able to concentrate do you know what I mean because you're like just totally away with it you know and and like I said again it was that culture shock of being in a professional setting you know with people who've got high expectations of you you know should I actually be here do I deserve to be here do you know what I mean and all that kind of stuff and and um you know and and especially in the in the uh industry that I was working in it's very kind of white middle class you know and it's you know they call it the old the old boys network. Oh, so is that is that all surveying? That that's the that's the industry you're yeah. in, obviously, isn't it? Yeah, Constantly. yeah, exactly. Con- yeah. Was it sort of building surveying, building surveying, building surveying, yeah, yeah, or just just the 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 property industry in general. It's kind of like this, you know, it's like this middle class environment where, right. you know, um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people kind of are in there, and then there's then there's like this sort of people who are trying to push through, you know, whether you're working class different creed different color whatever yeah, yeah. it might be you know there's there's a challenge and you know and i felt it and that was kind of for me that was that was one of the the, the hardest bits um and i think yeah like i say it took it took a while it took a while i'd say up until maybe like early 30s when i started right. to feel like yeah. settled and like okay yeah you, yeah you know you deserve to be here and this is you know you you know you've got a right to be here do you know what i mean and you've worked yeah. to get to this point so it was funny that I was I was thinking about sort of my situation when I moved down to Reading and looking back through rose-coloured glasses, I thought, well, I, 
I, I settled in quite quickly and you know what I mean I wasn't really homesick I embraced the lifestyle of living down there um, moving away from home I had my own place and all that kind of stuff but then actually when I when I actually thought about it and dialed back in there was definitely a period of um, five years initially where because I was working weekends I was doing 12 hour shifts working over Christmas there were times when I was like Jesus Christ, what am I doing here? Do you know what I mean? I want to move back home and I'm missing all my mates. I'm missing my family. So, yeah, it wasn't all, like, if I think about it, it was quite, I think, no, it was sound, it was sorted, but really actually dialing in and thinking about the time, it was it was difficult, a difficult first five years. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I remember kind of waking up and, and dreading going to work and having to go to meetings and do you know what I mean? And just, yeah. you know, looking back, like you say, you kind of, you look back and you reflect on it and you think, was I, you know, I was probably suffering bouts of depression. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. without, and, and because of, like you said, this, this stigma that comes with, you know, it's like, if you read a self-help book, it means you've suffered from depression, which means that you're weak. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's kind yeah. of like that cycle. And I, and I noticed how early you meant, you said self-help, but then you also said personal, de- personal development. Yeah which feels like it's almost like personal development has kind of superseded self-help books. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like a more, of, a more like socially accepted yeah. term to put it under, isn't it? You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> I suppose it's what it is, isn't it? Because it's not like, well, it, the, they both kind of make sense. You know, you are trying to help yourself and develop yourself. Yeah. You know, so. There's a massive, um, massive um, idea in, in mental health and stuff and about self-care. So before understanding someone else's mental health or helping someone else with their mental health, mm. you've got to look after yourself first. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. Self-care. So for me, that's where like self-help comes from is looking after yourself so you can help other people then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what good are you in your family if you can't look after yourself and you've not got your own physical, mental um, aspects on point? You can't look after anybody else then, can you? That's it. No, I think I, I'm with you. I think it's that... Um... You know, it's that kind of 360 development, isn't it? Looking at yourself and then how that, how you're projecting yourself yeah. and even how, how you treat others is a projection of your own self anyway. Do you know what I mean? And, and with Definitely. that kind of mindset, if someone's, you know, I think. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing because uh, I heard something the other day talking about, um, look at someone, how they treat the dog. And then that's a, that's a reflection on how they'll treat like other people. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's true though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, but you know, but 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 like the, I think it's, I, I don't know. It's I think we're living in a in a kind of, you know, this whole thing about times when you're you know you're in a depression or you you know you, you don't know it at the time. You don't know what it is. We're fortunate that we can put things, we can label things, and you know we can kind of make sense of it with that label. It helps you to kind of identify what symptoms or you know behaviours yeah. you're you're experiencing yeah. or you're you're presenting. Yeah. Uh, whereas our parents or you know probably I don't know self help. Imagine a self help that how to win friends and influence people in the 1960s. It'd have been like it's groundbreaking it yeah yeah of course it would would have been like quite controversial wouldn't it people would have been like i'm not reading that i'm not getting like people would like it'd be like when you had porn magazines and you put them in another magazine cover so no you're reading it sorry sorry when you had porn magazines <laughs> <laughs> that's don't, it, don't make this about me. <laughs> that, that's what it would have been like though wouldn't it people would have been reading it with a different cover on the front yeah yeah no that's like it's so, like the 
yeah, it's like the classic out the Viz magazine, isn't it? You're like, you know, <laughs> yeah. there'd be someone reading it yeah. inside. Maybe I should have used Viz as an example rather than Paul <laughs> magazines, but... <laughs> It's just just lodged inside the uh, economist yeah. or, or the yeah. uh, the scientist. Yeah. Uh, and the, ba- the Back to the Future, Back to the Future Two, when they have the the sports almanac. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know you, you know no, Back to the know. Future Two? Oh my I, god, I do, but I don't know it in that you know that that finite that for all the geeks detail. for all the Back to the Future geeks listening. The uh, the sports almanac is where he can bet on on these sports and stuff in the future, and that's how he made his money. But when they find it at the end, it's a sports almanac cover with like a the lingerie magazine in the, in the uh, cover. Nice. Not as funny when I have to explain the uh, analogy, but they, well, yeah. they say comedy is a bit like a frog, isn't it? When you dissect it, it, it dies. <laughs> you know. So, but yeah. Was there any um, any times, and I definitely felt it, um, when you come across this like imposter imposter syndrome? Yeah, all the time. All yeah. the time. I think. Um, I mean, a good. Uh, so 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 i'd say yeah it was it was tricky all all the time i felt like i didn't really belong there i had no business being there mm-hmm. you know what i mean and you know i remember there was one particular situation like a bit of a, a a bit of a sort of a penny dropping was um i had this one particular project and this would have been maybe uh what 2000 where are we now 2020 so this would have been probably 2014 so right. you know a good 10 years into my career and he had this, I don't remember, remember I had a meeting on site with this particular chap and his name, I don't, I won't tell his name, but it was, he had a, you know, a posh name like Edward or, yeah. you know, one of those, you know, one of those ones, excuse me. And I remember we met on site, you know, and he was very, very, you know, he, he was like the archetypal public school boy, beautiful suit on, you know, ultra shiny shoes. Do you know what I mean? And he yeah. just looked apart like a, you know, you'd look at him and you say, yeah, he is a carbon copy of a property person. Yeah. And I remember we, you know, we had the meeting and, you know, he knew he, he could talk the talk and, you know, we were sort of exchanging, you know, ideas and whatever. And then it was only afterwards then we kind of, we, we sort of uh, linked, linked in each other. Oh, yeah. And I looked, and I looked at his, his kind of, um, his resume or whatever, you, whatever you'd call it, his background. And he'd been to Eton. Eaton College. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I remember thinking, bloody hell, he's been to Eton. That kind of explained a lot. Like he's very posh, blah blah. blah. Yeah. And I thought to myself, but actually, if he's been to Eton and spent all this money, what thirty thousand pounds a year on an education? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we didn't pay anything, and we're stood, and I'm stood there talking to him, having a conversation. I'd be thinking, where's the where's the clever money gone, really? Exactly. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> and that and that was when I started to sort of that that really was a bit of a a penny drop for me you know nice. yeah. and, and it is kind of then you you think and it all just came together at that point do you know what i mean it's like right okay you do deserve to be a you, you you know this this is kind of you've worked yeah. as hard as he has to be where you are you know so That's awesome, that. i've written a post yeah. on um uh, facebook the other day that uh, again going back to marcus aurelius is his aide constantly he had him there for the sole reason of keeping him humble so whenever like the, the politicians that, yeah. were, were talking him up and that Marcus Aurelius had turned to his aide and his aide had just said, listen, you're just a man. Mm. You're just a man. And um, in the same post, Steve Jobs has the quote done he were, he says at some some university passing out parade or whatever, he says that um, everything that has ever been invented has been invented by someone who's no more cleverer than you are. And when you accept that, good good things will happen like so. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, and I guess it's why, like, a lot of people, when you see, like, you know, um, Anthony Joshua and, you know, Conor McGregor, they keep the, the they keep the kind of friends and family that they've had, for, you know, obviously family, but, you know, they keep a close-knit community yeah, around them. And I guess yeah, yeah. that helps keep everyone, you know, helps keep them grounded, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? And that's kind definitely, of a, yeah. a similar thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, keep some... Um, like it's funny, isn't it? Like when you look at Mike Tyson's story, once he once he lost his kind of inner circle, the the custom martyrs and the other people who he had close to him. Once he let um, Don King kind of like take advantage of him, and he brought sort of like hangers on with him. That was like when he, he his, his kind of downfall came on that line. But then I want to try and try something now that I was okay. playing around with before. So going on the same topic of um, imposter syndrome. I just want to see if we can watch this clip. You know that, I was saying the other day, Paul Mort, I've been going down the rabbit hole with Paul Mort recently, mm -hmm. and he talks about imposter syndrome. It's only on for like a minute, but let me see if I can do this. Go on. And I'm hoping this should record as well. So connect, tap screen mirroring. Right, hang on, mate, hang on, hang on. Can you still see me, yeah? Yeah. So let's see. If I can do this, connect to Wi Fi VM, Zoom, Drury House. Can you see that screen? Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm going to have some fun with this video today. So, this morning, I'm inside of one of my groups, one of my training programs, uh, running a session, a QA session, and the word imposter came up three times. But then I got an email from a guy trying really hard, said he has imposter syndrome. So I'm going to cut to the chase on this. Imposter syndrome isn't a thing. It makes it sound like a disease. Like, if you have imposter syndrome, what medication do you take for it? It is a mental construct and a term and a label. Not sure who invented it or where it came from, but it sounds like something that was invented by the personal development industry or some kind of therapy thing that just adds drama and intensity to what essentially is just you feeling uncomfortable. Think about it again. I feel like an imposter. No, you feel uncomfortable. Oh, I'm an I've got imposter syndrome. No, you just feel uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable in the situation that you're in because it's new. Guess what? If it's new, it's supposed to be fucking uncomfortable. I'll stop it there because I don't know if you. I don't know if you can hear it or not. And uh, I don't know if it'll if it'll record on the on the playback, but I just thought it was really interesting how it is just we put these labels and it does sound like something that you can take medication for. Whereas really, it is just a matter that it's uncomfortable in it. Mm. Whatever situation you find yourself in, that you think I'm not worthy to be a, a who am I to be a? It's an insecurity because it's an uncomfortable situation. It's something you've never done before. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I guess it's kind of putting that thing on its it's kind of spinning that thing on its head, isn't it? Where it's it's good that we can we can label things, but at the same time it can be counterproductive because it you can also hide behind it. Yeah, you know, do you know what yeah. I mean? And and I think like he says, you can use it as an excuse. You know what I mean to to not do something, but when it's just being uncomfortable, it's a bit like you did too. Like you put yourself in bad spots, so let someone get a dominant position on you. So you can maybe practice escapes, but you've put yourself in that uncomfortable situation. Mm. I mean, mm. and it's like we do yeah. in life. You, to, to, to strive and achieve anything like yourself, moving down to London, 
it's an uncomfortable situation, isn't it? So, and it's supposed to be uncomfortable. And that's why not many people, I don't think, do it and embrace, like moving, maybe moving out to St. Helens. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then it's, but then uh, the, the, the decision that you make, because uh, I always think, I always remember when my mum dropped me off at, university in, in Kingston she was in bits do you know what I mean she was crying yeah. so so I've made a decision to do something that's uncomfortable and you know to put myself under pressure but the impact that has on other people who are you know occurring for you are looking after you yeah. do you see what I mean that kind of it, it what you do as a as a knock-on effect doesn't it and it, it impacts your family so it's do you not think your mum was like obviously she was upset because her, her son was leaving in that but maybe she was upset in a in a glad kind of way so not upset because she was losing you but upset upset's not the right word but emotional because you was achieving something you was growing up you was moving down you was building something for yourself you know what i mean yeah yeah there'd be food in the fridge i think yeah. <laughs> rather just just pick it out eat it yeah, all yeah. Out. But yeah no you're probably right actually it was more like um i'm sure yeah, there was that's... like an element of, of pride in there that my yeah my son has moved out of st Helens. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with staying in St. Helens. Obviously, a lot of people do, but there are opportunities outside. You don't have to stay in St. Helens for the rest of your life. And obviously, yeah. London is is the the extreme of that. You know what I mean? You can move to London and a sense of pride. I'm sure she felt a sense of pride in that. So, yeah. yeah, a little bit. And I guess it's a bit of that risk-averse kind of mindset, which I think, again, is a, is a working-class trait, isn't it? Where you're kind of, you know, you, you're not kind of brought up to take major risks yeah. i don't know i don't know yeah. if that's kind of you know it might I mean, be like know. something in that where the the constant worry is to put food on the table and keep a roof over your head that's so it. very risk averse to try anything that is going to sacrifice a constant wage um knowing that this is x amount of money is coming in every month we can do one holiday a year anything that affects that that um what what's the word homeostasis that balance you know what I mean anything that affects that is going to start playing tricks on your mind because that's what we're used to aren't we as sort of working class mm. the wages come in we know what outgoings we might not save a lot of money but it pays for holidays house and food yeah 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 i mean what what about you did you did you have imposter syndrome when you moved to move to reading and kind um, of branched out so i was thinking about this the other day and so we, we go back to when I started reading like the personal development books and that like, and one of the things that I got from the chimp paradox in after about maybe, so initially when I went in the uh, MOD police, I was very much going to be going for promotion. We've spoken about this before, but I was very much going to go for promotion. So go for me sergeant, maybe go to inspector um, and use it as a, as a career progression. But then once I got in there, maybe after three or four years, um, I, I felt very uncomfortable with the idea of being the skipper of the team or the sergeant of the team or the leader of the team. And that was very much um, an example of me feeling this imposter syndrome, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I still don't... Like, sorry, go on. I was going to say, so you kind of established a strong bond with everyone that you're working with because you did have a strong bond there yeah. at the time. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of, it's kind of almost this, um, you know, it's it's kind of breaking that bond, isn't it, to kind yeah. of rise above into a position kind of, of seniority. Yeah, to so, so, so sort of be promoted into a position of leadership in like amongst your peers. I definitely questioned that. I was like, no, no, who am I to be a leader of people who have been there for 20 odd years 
you know what I mean? All boys who've been there for, for many, many more years, loads more experience. There's no way I could put myself in that position to lead them, to tell them what to do. Mm. I mean, since since that, my thoughts on leadership have changed anyway. I wouldn't be there to tell them what to do. I'd be using their experience to help me lead the team. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. at the time, it was very much a mentality of there's no way I could step up and do that. Yeah, it was it was just a, a viewpoint on on how how management is kind of delivered, I guess, isn't yeah. it? And how you, yeah. but it, it, it's funny, the, the, it's funny you say that because I think the, a good analogy that I've, I was, I was told it, uh, someone said it to me a long time ago and it really resonated with me as to what a good manager or a good leader would look like. And it's a bit like, you know, Jules Holland. Yeah. You know, he does his, um, he does the Jules Holland show. Obviously he headlines the show, but people mm-hmm. don't go to see him. They go to see all the different, facets that kind of perform yeah. on that day do you see what i mean so he's yeah, the draw yeah. but everyone is contributing and it's kind of emulating that same that's good yeah do you know what i mean that same yeah. approach so like using uh, using other people's strengths yeah yeah to to lead the team but you're just the like the figurehead of it that's yeah it. that's it yeah no like that analogy that's good though it's mm. clever but yeah paul i've been going down um i've been trying to consume as much of paul mort's like content as i can I don't know if you've heard of him before. Have you come across him at all? No, never. No. He's, he's someone I've, I've only recently come across him, but I've I've heard his name thrown around like for a few years, but just never. I don't know why. I never never watched any of his stuff, but it's uh, it's got a good sort of vibe and a good like uh, attitude towards it, and it's something I think that we can relate to as well. Whereas you look at maybe American entrepreneurs and mm. uh, marketing people and all that kind of stuff, and because of the, the background where we're from and that, we, we can't quite relate to the, the, the where they're coming from, but Paul Mark's from Sunderland and he's, he's at one point he was ready for um, taking his own life. Oh, really? Yeah, even yeah. though we had a successful business and all that, he was just unhappy um, and he's, he, he managed to turn it around and, and create a new business and all this kind of stuff. Like, So it's a good good motivational story, but from a, from a point of view that we can probably relate to, yeah, and was that the was it one of the algorithms that kind of presented it to you, or did you just kind of, you know what I mean? Like you know, if you're like a suggestion from YouTube or Instagram, was it? Um, I think it came up on Facebook. He was running ads on Facebook, and I think that came up in me in my feed. But um, I think it was Instagram where I, where I started to to watch a lot of his stuff. Like, yeah. Okay, I might um, yeah I might tap into that and see what's see yeah. what's what on there. Kind of inspired the um, the newsletter idea that we've. We've been using so mm. getting people to subscribe to the the weekly newsletter for incremental gains. Mm. Yeah, kind of inspired yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good covering all bases. You're getting emails out there, and the um, the podcast, the, the YouTube channel is looking good now, isn't it? Yeah. It's looking quite slick now. Yeah. Hopefully, I've got sort of used to the uh, the editing and that like of it, and hopefully that's why I wanted to try a few things today to see if that that phone link to the phone whether that will appear on the playback. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. Yeah. Have, have a look at it. No. I, yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's good. It's good, mate. Sorted. Well, uh, thanks for your time, mate. Good talking to you. What are you up to for yeah. the rest of the day? Uh, well, I've got to. Um, I was supposed to be having Corey, as I was saying to um, uh, your better half earlier on. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's not coming now. So I'm gonna just. Um, it's funny during the lockdown or just as the lockdown kicked in, you know, they were saying, don't panic buy, don't panic buy. And everyone was just panic buying. Yeah. And I fell foul to it. I've got, um, I ended up in my cupboard now. I've got eight cans of chickpeas. Oh, 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm going to be making hummus. I don't know, mate. I don't know. They were just, I don't know. It's just one of them. I think it, yeah. So I'm getting That's some. Yeah. It's going to be like a hummus party tonight, and then <laughs> nothing much really, mate. Just going to be relaxing and chilling out, really taking it easy. So, yeah. Yeah. Sorted, mate. Well, yeah. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. It was good talking to you. Thanks yeah. For, thanks for doing this. No bother. All right. Cheers, pal. Take care. Take it easy. Cheers. See you later. Thank you.